1: Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and David Priest, journalist, scout, and goalkeeping coach. Now, we all knew deep down that it was too good to last. Reality was going to reassert itself sooner rather than later. Gareth Southgate has never hidden from the truth. His England team is a work in progress. I suppose the question is, how much work needs to be done?
0: A lot, Tony? Well, a fair amount, but probably less than in most England squads in the last 20 years. I mean, this is a, a good group of players. They're very young. They've got a lot to learn. But there is so much raw talent there. There's so much pace there. I think there is plenty to look forward to, and there will be setbacks like this. And, but, you know, Southgate has got, he's got a group of players there who can take England a long way.
1: Well, if that's the case, why are we panicking? You know, there's a lot of talk already. Oh, is Gareth Southgate going to sign this contract? Will he walk after the Euros? Do we need to get a little bit of perspective here?
2: I think there's two sides of it. You know, people keep saying that uh, how well we did and, you know, how we should be looking to progress from, from there. But also, there's other side of it where we, we were kind of lucky with the, with the draw, as it turned out. So it was, um, yeah, it's, I don't think there's any cause for it's, it's real concern. But I think it's uh, like you said about it being a work in progress. There's there's problems within the team that, uh, that that need solving, especially sort of in that midfield area. Mm, yeah, Gareth, have been
1: talking about. You know, we haven't had a real playmaker for 20 years since Gaza. That is an issue, isn't it?
0: Well, it is, yeah. And, I mean, one of the problems is there was not a lot of goals in that midfield. He hasn't found a way of getting Deli Alley into the game properly. Um, you know, they, they, they look a bit... They can be overrun easily. They need someone much more dynamic in the centre of midfield who can dictate the pace of the game. Because what, what, what's happened in the World Cup and here... Even in periods where England have been on top, suddenly they let the game go away from them. They let the other team play out at the speed they want at the pace they want it, and then all of a sudden they get overrun. And I mean, we've seen it. Uh, Harry Kane dropping back deep and working as auxiliary midfielder, he's got to try and get a handle on that. And also, he's got to organise that defence. Loads of good, raw, young talent, but you know, a time Chamblah.
1: That central midfield area, David. If we're going to look to for the next generation, if you like. The one who's impressed me so far this season, I saw a little bit of him at Norwich last season, is James Madison. Mm. Um, is it too early to get someone
2: like that into the mix? I don't think it's too early, but I think the the, way, the, the policy that uh, they've had it's, uh, all the way through the levels, is, is at, especially at the moment, is not to promote too early. Uh, you think that's... Um, I think even like Phil Ford, and I think I don't think he's, he's been, been playing play. with the nineteen. Yeah, hasn't he hasn't been playing. Even he has been playing the twenty-one. So they're not going to push them too soon. Um, but I think you've got to make special uh, special cases for for positions where we do have a dearth of players. Mm. One of the sort of almost sort of what we might call a
1: second phase player, in other words, someone who's just coming in after the World Cup, is Joe Gomez. Now you've obviously seen him at Liverpool when he's played because obviously he had, had some problems with injury wise. He always strikes me as a modern intelligent, modern footballer.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, he's very good on the ball. Uh, he's improved enormously through playing next to Van Dijk, who's very, very vocal, very talkative and a good organiser. So that's that helped. The Bobby Moore comparisons, can we mm. just put them away? Mm. He's nowhere near that. You know, he's, he's, he's got a long way to go. But he's the sort of player who could be a, a mainstay of the England and Liverpool defence for a decade. Mm. isn't that cuz you know tony what
1: tony's saying there about the bobby moore comparison isn't that one of the the great sort of recurring problems that we've got you know the overhyping of of younger players you know i, I saw um uh, jaden sancho compared to neymar this weekend you know
2: we've got to get a handle on that get a grip yeah but i mean i think a lot of that's just for if for people who, if they don't know the player and they haven't seen a lot of him, then they try and pigeonhole and say, well, this is the type of player he's going to be or mm-hmm. he's the one he looks like. But I think, yeah, you're right. He's, mm-hmm. he's a different player to the likes of Bobby Moore. But again, he, you know he, what he does, if you're playing that back three, it allows... Uh, the option of releasing Kyle Walker back to, to his right wing-back where he's, he, uh, he usually plays simply because Gomez is, you know, adds that little bit more pace in there that, uh, that Walker brings.
1: Mm. That defence, the make-up of it, um, you know, we've got some changes for the the game on um, on Tuesday night. Um, looks like a bit of a ticket-selling uh, idea. Ben Chilwell coming in, Damari Gray was very good with the 21s Chilwell will... will you know, be basically drafted in because of the injury to Luke Shaw. Mm. That kid needs a break, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's done so well coming back from all those issues. I mean, when he first went to Manchester United, he, he got lost. You know, he was, he was never a, a bad kid, but when he was at Southampton, they monitored him very, very closely. I mean, they checked where he at If he was on social media, you know, after midnight, drag him into the office the next day. He hadn't realised he needed his body to play professional football, at the highest level, he thought he could do it with skill, and he got to United. Got lost, you know, put put a bit of weight on, and and he really didn't get the care and attention he needed. and he got that terrible injury, and now he's come back, and um, and he looks fantastic this season. He looks like the fullback we thought he would develop into, not the greatest defender. Gets caught up fields, but really good going forward. And and his power and pace will get him out of a lot of problems. So I think I think we'd all love to see him back quickly. And you know, and, um, he's, he's really a, a feel good story in the game.
1: He certainly is. Yeah. When you, know, you were around England, you, you know, age group squads as a as a kid, David. Um, is it easy to define the player who's going to come through and make it at a senior level? And if so, what are the qualities that he shows that others
2: don't? We all see through the, the different age groups the, the players that stand out. You know, mm-hmm. it's clear. You know, when you get some like Michael Owen, it's, it's sort of fifteen, sixteen years old. You can see that mm-hmm. the way he's going to progress, but. Yeah, we we've always we've always had good youth size, good under twenty one size, but it's 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 about making that next step and I think there's a lot of talk about that at the moment, about, you know, the, the pathway that the different players take and you know, some players going over to to Europe at the moment and uh, other players going out on loan, trying to get those minutes because that's what's most important. And I think that's what's uh, really Makes the difference between sort of uh, in that transition whether they can transfer that into uh, into the older age group and the full squad because uh, getting those minutes, uh, especially at an early age, you 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 reach a point where you've you've had all your coaching, you know, you've had your, your football education. Then it's about going out and uh, and and doing it in sort of sort of real life situations. It's the same as when you're taking a you're driving uh, driving course. Mm. You take, your, take your license. You don't really learn how to drive properly. You get the real experience until you get out there
0: on the road by yourself. You know so. Yeah, if you're 22 and you're playing the under 23s, it's probably passed you by. Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, injury is always, you know, another factor. Now, natural Chaloper <clears throat> excuse me, is he's back in, in contention. He's only played what half a dozen Premier League games in his life, probably. But someone like him at Watford has the opportunity to maybe break into that midfield equation, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, well, I think if he gets playing time, mm. and, and at Watford he'll get plenty of playing time if he can avoid injury, then he can really make a statement and show what he can do. I think he's got, he's got enough talent, clearly, to break into the squad. It's just a case of him getting those minutes and getting playing all the time, and uh, and basically forcing his way in because there is a vacuum in that midfield waiting for someone to come in and and change the way England play. You know, make them less static, make them you know move the ball quicker through that midfield because they don't do it with enough snap.
2: Mm. I've seen him as an eighteen-year-old uh, playing the championship when the first time was at Watford Yeah. and he it, it controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole game from, uh, from deep position in midfield. And and he, he can get forward. He's got a good range of passion But it was, everything just went through him. And you think, um, you know, talk about the, the development of players. I thought, well, that's the start, you know. And mm-hmm. they just, There's a huge gap there now in his development that, you know, needs mm-hmm. to make... It's a good it family because,
1: you know, the, the younger brother, Trevo, is, yeah. is, is very good as well. He's gone out on loan to, to Ipswich this season. I suppose, you know, when, what you're looking at is players having to seize the moment very, very quickly now, no matter how young you are.
2: Um, Is it easy to be forgotten in the game? Yeah, certainly. I mean, especially at that age, because you always find that uh, certainly when you first come through there's all this noise around you and then you can it's easy for you to, to go on to the side and you know the, the adrenaline's pumping through you and there's the excitement there's the buzz around you and you, you know you're, you're on top of the world and then when things sort of plateau off a little bit and sort of you just get into you know your regular game then you know it's about the mentality about being able to push yourself on again and mm-hmm. sometimes you know we talk about if you stand still in football that you go backwards then it's, it's about keeping progressing and keeping pushing on and, and Never really getting that feeling that you've made it because you know as soon as you like I said as soon as you do that that's when you uh, you stop improving.
1: Mm. What's the value of this one against Switzerland? Is you know is is a traditional friendly if you like? Mm. Is it sort of giving time and starts to someone like Trent Alexander Arnold who at Liverpool has just basically grown into it? Hasn't he instantly?
0: Yeah, it it's a time to experiment and it gives you a chance to give people who are not getting playing time a bit of playing time. I think it's important this game's especially important to Southgate because he's got a look I mean there's there's problems in all of the departments. There there is lots of look there's a lot to be pleased about in the defence, midfield and attack. But all of them have issues that need sorting of out if they're going to be the team they want to be. So this gives them a chance to do it, which it wouldn't necessarily do against Spain. So it'll give Trent a chance to play. Um, I mean, he's got so much potential, it's untrue. He's an impressive lad as well, isn't he? He is. He's a really nice, intelligent, um, sort of grounded Person and um, so I I mean I think he will develop into a really good player whether it's in midfield or at full back is open to question because he's he's got such a good passing range and such a good touch he can play further forward but uh, give him a chance he's probably not quite there in England terms yet but by the time the tournament rolls around in two years I'd expect him to be
1: Mm. and also after you know after this game you've got away games in Croatia and Spain you know Heaven forbid you lose the, all three games until then. So you know, six on the bounce that you lose—that's when the balloons will go up. Um, if you look at those um, type of fixtures, do they actually give you an idea of the real value of the Nations Cup? Because it is there is a little bit more edge to it, isn't there?
2: Yeah, but I also think that's, that there could be a case for uh, if it's if they are competitive and they're uh, you know you're worried about the relegation from that top tier group then. You know, like, in a, in a game where you might blood somebody or give somebody a bit of experience, you might hold back and go for mm. somebody who's who's got a few more caps. Um, there's a case for that, but also as well, I think it's, it's, just, um, yeah, it's just it's just a case of, of, of trying to make these games more uh, mm. m- more entertaining, more competitive for for the people who are watching mm. as well. Because the reality is, a lot of the teams
1: you know across Europe are in this transitional mm. phase anyway. You look at. Germany for instance you know they're, they're trying out Josh Kimmich as a holder a midfield holder so I suppose that's the territory isn't it
0: yeah after World Cup there's always going to be uh, people are going to retire you know walk from international football or people who who you know are going to be surplus to requirements because you know that by two years time they're, they're going to be over the top and so yeah it's a time of change all around I mean you look at the changes with Spain and Actually they were very positive changes, but it's a different group of players, you know, it's a different um it's a different feeling to the Spain team. So yeah, so I mean there's, there's a lot of that going on and uh, it'll take it'll take probably the best part of the season for it to stabilize.
1: Mm. A lot of uh, questions from the, the viewers and the listeners around International Week. So I think it fits in nicely that we talk about that now. Um Russell Davis gets us going. What has happened to England's striking options? There's very little behind Kane and Rashford, and while we've got good young players coming through, not many seem to be forwards.
0: Well, I disagree, really, because if you look at the under twenty ones, the under twenty ones had loads of forwards. Um, of course, it was nil nil draw last week, <laughs> but, but you no, know, there is loads of potential there. I think, um, unfortunately, you know, Verdi has has reached the age where he you know he he won't be around for too long in terms of the international game. Sturridge, who should be the probably the, the man who spearheads England uh, for various reasons is never going to do it, but I think uh, you know uh, in the in the under twenty ones there's a whole group of them who have got the potential to actually stand up and play alongside Harry Kane. Uh, well, not quite alongside Harry Kane because you know, obviously the system they like to him up there on his own. But yeah, I do I do think the squads was were short. Was, you know, t- Putting only three attackers into this squad, I think was a mistake by Southgate. I would have taken a couple of the uh, under twenty ones, put them in there, and left a couple of defenders about because it was bottom heavy with defenders.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, you know there's two things. Two ways. To look at this. I think one, it's a bit of supply and demand. Like I said, most teams play with one up front now, mm-hmm. so the, the, there's there's more call for your, your attacking. Attacking forwards, attacking midfielders who were sort of like, haven't really got a defined position. Uh, but also, to play that role, you have to be exceptional in a lot of ways. You know, if you're playing two up front before, you'd obviously somebody who'd be better at hold up play, a bit, bit strong in the air, somebody a little bit quicker. That was the old fashioned type of partnership. Where now you have to be, you know, someone like Didier Drogba redefined uh, that role and he, he he was exceptional, and it's, it's a lot of stuff, and that's what you've got to be. Mm-hmm. Harry Kane, he's probably, if you look at his positions that he takes up on the pitch, he, he doesn't really take up with positions you know, in the build-up player of a typical number nine in, in that role. He's, he's always, like you said, he's always very deep, mm-hmm. probably may, takes up positions more like a ten or even a false nine. So he's, yeah, it, I, th- I think that's the, the, another thing where you, you, you have to have the same, uh, you have to have the attitude as well, because you've got to be as selfless as you are selfish, because you've got to do all that work round uh, round outside the box, but then have the, a different kind of attitude when you're in the box as well. Mm. And it takes a special kind of uh, sort of attitude and character to be like that. You, you think the, the people who thrive like that, like so Lewandowski, uh, he, he, you know, he, he's a great all-round striker, uh, and there's not many of them about who can who are so well-rounded as they are.
1: Mm. Uh, one from... Um... Someone calling himself or herself the the ordinary one, which suggests to me that might not be a Man United fan. Um, Would the Premier League be better if the league itself continued through the international break? I suppose rugby is the example of that. Would teams be so eager to send youth players out on loan if they had to use them to cover the big stars playing
0: for their country? Hmm. Um, I think the squads are big enough anyway to to cover it in many ways, but I don't think it's ever happened. I think people want to see the you know the, the big players playing in the Premier League, and um, and I think it, uh, there'd be so much resistance to it. It's untrue. Uh, I don't think. it... I mean, I'm not a big rugby fan, but I don't think it works brilliantly in rugby either. Mm. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's workable. Never mind the fans, of the Premier League. They, no. want, they want the best product out there that they possibly can, and, and it wouldn't be. The, the only thing that's, only suggestion I can make is that perhaps one of the cups, maybe the you know the the league cup, could be played uh, in those weeks, mm. um, because then it, you know you, you, you've got no choice but to play the younger players or the players who aren't playing. So
0: it's. Mm. Maybe you could do that. I don't know. The, the other thing is, I mean, you know, there are times you on know, in the international uh, breaks when actually, if it's friendlies, you know, you'll give people a rest. Like Harry Kane, who looks desperately in need of a rest. Mm. You know, uh, you know, you'd, you'd think that Southgate should rest him against Switzerland, and that uh, you know, so you you have that. You know, and you rest them for the you rest them for the, like the league cup. So I think, I think it wouldn't work for clubs no matter how you try to do it. Yeah.
1: Sort of a, a couple of broad ones on the Nations uh, League itself. Um, Thomas O'Day says, "Do you think it will be successful, or would it have been better to have actually had a revamp of, of qualifying?" And Luke Pauli adds, "Do you think the the Nations League will achieve its goals of getting fans more engaged with international football?"
2: I think if you're gonna if we're going to stay in that top tier of, uh, of uh, of international teams, then there's it, going to be more interest if you if you are like playing the likes of Italy, maybe Croatia. We fell lucky with Croatia really because I think that's it's a great game for us. To, it's like measuring ourselves against how far we've come since the World Cup. Mm. If we can, you know, and try and sort of improve on what went wrong in in that game as well. So we've been lucky in that sense. But um, it's a little bit in between. I mean, you, you said there about what happens if we lose the next two games and then it's six games of Gareth Gareth's lost in a row. When you think well. He's not going to lose his job over the Nations League. You know, if it was in qualifying for the, the Euros or whatever, it's, it's a little different.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: Brad Dobbing um, asks
1: With all the fuss about switching allegiances, you know, I think Declan Rice is the, is the current case in point, and the Nation League coming in, do we hopefully get away from gifting caps at international level? Are you in favour? Of uh, bringing back international B teams?
0: Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's—I I just don't think there's any need for it. You know, it's um, it, it, these didn't attract that much attention. I don't think they give you that much. I mean, in, in many ways, it's like when you put the under-21s. Why would you have international B teams? It's just—it seems a, a, a strange idea, a, a retrograde step. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's it's different now. It's a different environment now than when you used to have before. I think you know you, you're looking at sort of like eighty percent of of English players made up the the what well, first division or Premier League mm. teams. we well, now it's sort of just above thirty percent. Mm. So that maybe the the pool isn't there. I don't know. I mean, in, back in Denmark, they do a, a a league team, so it's it's full of players mm. who are uncapped and playing at home in Denmark. Uh, just to give them the experience of international international football and sort of widen the, the pool of players at that level. Mm. Okay, final question which
1: will you know, probably ease us into a, a further debate about the club game. This is from Nick from Manchester. Just a question on Brentford. Are we looking at the new Bournemouth? Is Dean Smith the most underrated manager outside of the Premier League?
0: Well, they've had a good start to the season. Um, they've, they've been there or thereabouts for the past three or four years. Uh, they do things differently at Brentford. Um, yeah. the, the, you know, sort of the approach to the game is, uh, involves a lot of analytics and a lot of different... Um, a different variety of analytics to mm. most clubs as well. And I, I think Dean Smith's doing a great job. Um, I, I did next Bournemouth... Possibly, I think they'll probably find uh, uh, the championship a bit too strong for them this year, but I certainly see them being in the playoffs. And, um, and when you're in the playoffs, who knows?
1: Yeah, I, I've looked at Brentford quite deeply, and you're right about the analytics, but I think also it's that it's the efficiency of their scouting system. You know they're watching the same players, and other scouts have admitted this to me. They're watching the same players as everyone else, but they're more decisive. Bang, they go and get the player. Yeah.
2: Well, because they have the, the data behind them as well, it's probably, you know, they don't have to watch the players as much or take as much, uh, as much time to, to make a decision. But it's, I mean, it's a huge year for them this year because the way they, they do things, it, they can't really lose because I think it's important that this season that they do go in the Premier League. And if they don't go in the Premier League, then they will lose uh, a fair chunk of the, the squad that they've got now. But because of the way the scouting system is, they'll get a lot of money
0: coming into the club mm. and then they can be confident that they replace those players with like-for-like like again. Well, I mean, a couple of times in the last few years, they've got to January and they've said, all right, we're not going to make it. Let's sell the players. Mm. And they sell them and rely on the scouting in the summer. So, yeah, it's um, they, they are very, very efficient. And obviously, they've got a link with Michelin in Denmark mm. and, and sort of... And use that link and that network to bring people in.
1: Yeah, i have also got a new stadium coming up. Exactly. Um, you know, while we're talking about uh, Bournemouth um, or the new potentially a new Bournemouth anyway, Eddie Howe looks like you know, he's been offered a, a new longer term contract, about four, £4 million pounds a year. Um, is that again the club getting insur- taking out insurance just in case he moves on? If he does move on, or should he move on? Really?
2: I think it's, it's best for both parties. Uh, like I said, it's... is insurance for the club but for him while the club's still improving and and he's, he's moving it on and season on season they're still getting better and you can see the improvement there then I don't think there's any really unless he gets it at one of these offers that he can't refuse mm. um you know you know what the job's like these days you know he could move somewhere else and be out of out of a job in six months time so why risk what he's got now when he's still got he's got a lot of control of the club a lot of control over uh who he brings in and um
0: like I said, improvement again, year on year. He's a very realistic manager. You know, it's uh, when he was linked with both England and Arsenal, he said, no, you know, let's uh, let's all just calm this down, you know, I'm not ready. So yeah, I think it's a good move for him. And I think uh eventually he will move to a bigger club, inverted commerce, but uh, I think he's got plenty of work still to do at Bournemouth.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I know a couple of um let's say resting managers at the moment who are a bit waiting for the carnage to unfold. Not in this transfer window, but in the next transfer window in October. Um, which Premier League manager is currently most vulnerable, do you think, David?
2: Well, I mean... Uh, Pellegrini? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's got to be. You know what I mean? It, no matter what uh, he's standing in the game or um, or what the potential of the team has. I think. I actually think... I've seen West Ham a couple of times this season. I think going forward, I really like Philippe Anderson. Think, keep on out of each fit. You know they, they look a threat going forward, but at the back they just uh, they, they look woeful. And, and they've been lucky that they've got Lucas Fabianski, who's
0: who's had to play really well to keep the score down in a couple of games.
1: Mm. You seen the match?
0: Yeah, no one's putting in a shift. They're not working for each other. The midfield's porous. The defence is disorganised. And you know what? The, the players, if they're not working, they've always got the the excuse. not they? they're like, oh, the boards are a mess. Um, and Pellegrini. You know, he was brought into Man City as a babysitter. To keep the job warm after the chaos of Mancini, and he won the title in his first year, won the League Cup, won another League Cup, but I mean there was feeling coming out of the City dressing room that he wasn't dynamic enough. You know the the tactics were a bit flat, and you know it's um, you know he did babysitting, the kids went to sleep, you know it's um, and so it's not the sort of manager you need in a place like West Ham, which is carnage. Okay. I was just the, the worst appointment, despite spending a hundred million. In the transfer market this summer, this was the most foreseeable crisis in the Premier League ever.
1: So, it's no points after four games. They're at Everton on Sunday. Then they've got uh, Chelsea, Manchester United, Spurs at home with a, a brief respite of an away trip to Brighton. Which won't be easy. Which won't be easy. Are we looking at this season's Crystal Palace, who ended up with all no points after eight, seven
2: eight games? Yeah, but I mean the, the, the difference between them was that I think if you look at it, you know talk about the analytics, you talk about the, look about the numbers with Palace last season, they were actually playing quite well, and, and I think it was against Newcastle. They should have won against Newcastle, and they deserve more out of those games than uh, than what they got. So it was always going to turn round um, for them. Where well with West Ham? You know, when it was down to individual performances, and you know, like you know, it's a D-op. He, he He's not played many games yet. He's still integrating himself in the squad. And mm. Maybe that's going to be saving grace. The people turn around and say, "Well, in all these players that came this summer, they still need a little time to, uh, to gel." Mm. Um, you know, as as usual at the end of an international break, we've got a couple
1: of really tasty Premier League uh, matches to to get our teeth into. The BT Sport game is is Watford against uh, Manchester United on on Saturday tea time. Heavy um, Garcia, who basically we all dismissed as yet another light bulb manager, is done extremely well. He's now saying, "Why can't we be the new Leicester?"
0: Well, probably because you haven't got the players who are that good as Leicester. You know, um, but certainly they can cause a splash. I mean, the. Uh... Obviously, the way Troy Deeney approaches the Tottenham game—if United um, if they're not focused and they're not—you know—if anyone's not going to, you know, put in a shift for the manager, they're going to have found out by Watford. So, I mean, I doubt they'll be the new Leicester. But we thought the old Leicester weren't going to go very far. And um, but you know, more power to them if they can turn over United. I think people will sit up. You know, and and Deeney, the scourge of Arsenal, Tottenham, and if he adds United to that. You know, it'll be, it'll be brilliant. Yeah,
2: he'll be at it, won't he?
0: Yeah.
2: Oh. Uh, it's been telling what he, uh, I think it was an interview last week, the week before with uh, with Troy, and he was talking about the, the sort of impression that everyone's got of Watford. You know, and then he says from the inside. If you came here at the training ground and see what they're trying to, they're not just sort of, you know, changing things for the for the sake of it. The, everything from right from the core of the club is being changed so that it, it can be successful in, in future years. So it's,
0: yeah, it, you can't say it's not working for them at the moment. Yeah, and, mm. and he's great. He, he'll say to you, he'll say, you know, I'm going to test whether they're committed. You know, I'm mm. going to I'm going to ask them the question. You know, do you want this? And they you know, does. because mm. there is that sort of.
1: Just a slight hint around that that United are a bit
2: remember um, They have been. I mean that Brighton game, you know, the two centre halves certainly were in mm. that game. So it's um, there it seems to be. Well, there is a lot of pressure, but I think there's also a lot of pressure being brought on by themselves as well. You know, they all talk about the manager and. I think he tripped up again the other night when he went to the England game, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. That's yeah, a little, yeah. little fall there. But it's, yeah, it just seems to, you know, sometimes it doesn't just rain at Paws and it seems to be pouring at Man, yeah, Manchester. Mm-hmm. Not for the first time, obviously. No, no. And also,
1: it's not just about the team, is it? It's about the nature of the club. So when you get someone like Eric Cantona, who is probably the, the next statue in waiting at Old Trafford, saying there's no fun, There's no creativity. With all that implies, you know, we really should have Pep as our manager. That's bound to have an effect. It's bound to have a resonance, isn't
0: it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there were many heads nodding there. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we should have Pep. How do you work that one out, Eric? You know what I'm (laughs) saying? But, yeah, for, for him to... Well, basically slaughter Mourinho in the way he did. That's um, that's a that's a big thing. And uh, you know, they've, they've, there's always been people in the United boardroom who are in, unconvinced by Mourinho, and uh, the muttering's just growing and growing and growing. And y- you can see you can see a calamity looming there. Mm. Do you think they're vulnerable at Watford?
2: Yeah, I do, especially when I mean, Wofford's got the tails up there. They'll be confident. They they look strong. I like that midfield for it. They're very narrow in midfield. Will Hughes has come on well again. Yeah, he? he looks a, a real player now. Sort of, yeah, Maybe it's took a little bit of time for that to step up from Derby, but uh, yeah, he's playing well this season. Yeah, Likes uh, uh, Kapoor and uh, De Couria. Real strength in midfield and look, uh, look a real threat to Unite, I think. Mm. Yeah, Liverpool at Spurs. I think you're going to
1: Wembley. That's again one of those fixtures which will tell you an awful lot.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, last year was a disaster for Liverpool. Um, you know, they were 4 1 defeat, Lovren hauled off after 31 minutes. The, the only uh, defender who played that day who will play on Saturday is Joe Gomez, uh, funnily enough. And uh, I think the big difference there is that, you know, the, the changes in the defence have been massive. And I think it'll be much more difficult for Tottenham, but it, it's one of those games. Even though it's so early in the season, it's a statement game. Both of them want to lay down the marker, both teams, and I should imagine it'll be very, um, it'll be very tense and tight.
1: Mm, yeah, you know, I sat here and and basically said that Liverpool could become champions. Was I being
2: daft or not? No, not at all. I think it's. Uh, it's... <laughs> highly plausible, you know. It's just uh, it, 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 what they're relying on as well. It's not just about what they do; they're relying on other teams to to take points off City. That's what they they've got to do. Whether they can do that, it's a different matter. It doesn't look like that at the moment because even even City don't look like they're a full tilt really compared to last season. They have still got that quality.
0: What's what's positive for Liverpool is they haven't really clicked yet. Um, the front three, you know, haven't really got going, um, and you know, and they've still. Won all the games, and I think uh, I think that's going to be a good thing. Uh, the 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 issue for me is whether they can last the course. I mean, last year they peaked too early. They they peaked probably in the Roma game at Anfield, and then for, for May when they should have been peaking, you know, and, mm. and in Kiev they were flat. Um, you know, in in Pep's first year over here, City sort of went knackered by January, and he realised that. Changed his training methods, slowed things down a little bit, and of course, he went on to be champions. Uh, was done on that, not that I'm aware of. So, we'll see if Liverpool can last the distance. But
2: they do have the squad and the bench now to, to make changes. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he took Naby Cater out, it uh, was it the last game against oh. uh Leicester and, and put Jordan Henderson? So, he he, he can mm. afford to do that so he's not they're not expending uh, expend too much energy in this uh, this part of the season. Mm. Yeah, Tony's talking there in essence about the whole sort of sports science backup
1: that you get these days. How much is that now an end in itself? You know, what is the balance that maybe you go into a football club that you'd have to make between the science, which might say, look, just take that guy out of training for a day or two, or the need to actually gel a team and you say, look, he's playing?
2: Look, there's a, there's a balance, especially, uh, you know, working with sort of under-23s and 18s players. For a little while, they were probably too cautious with players so when it comes to games, they probably weren't. They were probably playing at 80 percent, because when it comes to during the week, they weren't pushing themselves or you know pushing their levels and the boundaries of the of the fitness, to to be able to get through those games. And yeah, it, it is a balance. I know that uh, you know it's outside the Premier League, but uh, with, with Jack Ross last week, he you know he said that he's he took a risk and overruled his uh, mm. his medical staff to play Jerome Sinclair because he was you know he thought they were being a little bit too sort of um, yeah, safe with him and he wanted to push him back into first-team action again. And sometimes I think that's what... It's kind of... You're the boss, you're the manager, you know. You have to take that responsibility, take on board what the medical staff say, mm. but also sort of, especially if you're the next player yourself, you kind of, you know, you know what football... You know your but, like. you? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Going, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and once you know your players as well, you know what they can and can't do and what they're capable of and who to push and who to hold back.
1: Mm. It's an emotionally intense football club. You've got an emotionally intense manager. How is Jurgen Klopp dealing with it, do you think?
0: I think he's dealing with it. Uh, I think he's dealing with it well. I think he's doing a very good job. I think... um, I think he is, um, the, the players are all united behind him. Um, the, the crowds are certainly united behind him. And I think there is still this sense of progression there. I mean, it, it seems strange to think that next month he'll be going into his fourth year as Liverpool manager when it feels so fresh. He still feels new. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's that feeling of, uh, you know, good things happening. He's just arrived. And, um, and while he can create that sense, it's, you know everything will be will be happy um, I think they do need to uh, they need to be closer to City for one they need to pick up the, a Champions League spot earlier uh, the, ideally win a trophy and go deep into the Champions League again to keep the sense of momentum going but I think Klopp's at the moment is the stocks as high as it could be with with everyone
2: mm. I, I don't know if Tony a agree, agree disagree with you, but His strength as a manager and his personality is sort of reflected in the way that his team play as well. But it was just watching the game against Leicester when, when Leicester credit to them, they were on top for you know probably the last hour of the game, Um, and and it was more to do with Leicester playing uh, playing well than than Liverpool not doing so well. But when his team's under pressure, you can see that he sort of he gets agitated and in his sort of energy translates on the pitch mm. as well. well. It certainly mm. doesn't help. And I think that's why it's so important that he's got Van Dijk and he's got the likes of Alisson. Mm. People who are on the pitch, uh, sometimes they can be too relaxed, but then he needs those characters to counteract his own, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and what they've brought, uh, th- those two players, is a, a sense of belief to the rest mm. of the, the team and, and, and Klopp.
1: Yeah. With Tottenham, you know, Pochettino was was visibly angry with that performance at Watford. Mm. Um he needs a response as well, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, they, I mean, they they, they just looked they, they were coasting a little bit, and you know, they, and they let themselves be gara. I think this is a game where you want them to come out like they did at Wembley against Liverpool and against United last year. They come out like a storm, and you know, and got the ball forward, got it to Harry Kane. You know. Um, Delhi Alley driving and, and caused havoc in the defence. I think he'll be looking for that. I mean, Tottenham, Tottenham have got a little bit of... Uh, the, the, there's a thing between Tottenham and Liverpool growing, you know, after the, uh, the game at Anfields where the, the penalties and, and Harry Kane. Um, I don't think it's a huge rivalry. But Tottenham might feel a bit, a bit peeved and thinking that they... They should be the team everyone thinks are going to challenge City because they've been the yeah, the, the, the team going mm-hmm. forward. In, in in a sense, it's a little bit different to um, to the Klopp situation. Um, Tottenham are, are, a, are a, a sort of a crossroads where are they going to progress now? You know, it's um, they've been they've moved forward each year, but not quite go over the hump and won a trophy. And are they going to pr- progress further? And if they don't this year, um, then. Who knows, that team might well break up. I mean, if Real Madrid come calling again, and it's possible, I'd, I mean, be up for Pochettino to say no. If they don't win a trophy, you know, do Kane, do Ali, do Eriksson. What do they think about the futures there? I mean, there's only two ways to keep players at a club, and that's win trophies or pay them the going rate and wages and Tottenham are doing neither <laughs> at the moment. Mm. And I can't see them paying the going rate. Well, Man City certainly do on both counts, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Um you know
1: they've they've got uh, Fulham at home on on Saturday. Then they've got a, you know a pretty decent run. Probably their big test will be Liverpool on I think it's the seventh of October. Um, compared to this time last year, David, how are City? I
2: wouldn't I wouldn't say they're and but like I said, they certainly haven't sort of hit hit top foreman's and uh, you know. Kevin De Bruyne is obviously a, a big miss for them. Mm. But they have got the players to, to compensate for that. They've got a squad to compensate. I think, um, yeah, they, they have... It's not that they, they've they had to reach top form or, or top gear yet so they can, uh, again, they can be more conservative. In that. And I think that the focus issue is on Champions League, you know. They, of course they want to retain the title. Of course they want to do that. But yeah, I think you see it was, certainly with squad selection, it, you know, we talk about Liverpool trying to rest play as well. They can do it no problem, City. They've got a huge squad where they can you know, rest players if needed, and that's going to be the focus. The second half of the season is going to be their focus, and so as long as they're as long as they're top of if they're top of the league, it's uh, or sort of they're close to the top of the league in Christmas January time. I think they'll they'll be happy with that. Well, the
0: other mm. thing you know, we talk about Liverpool not you know sort of um, hitting the top form, Tottenham not not you know sort of playing to the to their ability, you know, the heights of their ability. And it's the same for City. It's the, it's the World Cup hangover, I think, you know, mm. largely. And, you know, going back to Watford, in many ways, that's why it's an opportunity for Watford, you know, with, l- with less players who were there. If they get these teams early on, take something from them. Yeah. Because after Christmas, when everything, you know, sort of when everything settles down, it mightn't be quite so easy.
1: Yeah, because when you're talking about a World Cup hangover, you don't actually have to have been at the World Cup to have the hangover. Leroy Sane is a case in point. Now he's just withdrawn from the mm. you know the, the Germany squad as well for personal reasons. Is a player with all the talent in the world. Is he fight, facing a, almost like a premature crisis of his career at, at City?
0: Well, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, there, there's an awful lot of pressure on him, you know, and he's so young, and um, you know, he's getting criticism from all sides. Um, and this is where Guardiola will, you know, sort of. Well, show how good he is. I mean, he'll, he'll put his arm around him, you know, and sort of encourage him. And um, I think some of the criticism is unfair, but uh, I mean, it's hard for young players to stay focused all the time, and you know, because there's so many distractions.
1: Mm. Arsenal, um, they have a distraction. It seems internally. You know, there's some talk about Emery being unhappy that um, the future of Ivan Gazidis, the chief exec, isn't. Isn't very clear to talk about in general Italy, um, but Arsenal, if you look at them, are relatively stable compared to Newcastle.
2: What's your assessment of that current situation? Well, from what I've seen so far of Arsenal, they're they, a little bit uh, like West Ham. You know, they they great going forward, but at the back they're having some real problems, and um, not just with pet and playing out the back, but. Um, it's more to do with uh, them as a defensive unit. And, uh, you know, it's the same problems that persisted for for God knows how long, like, you know. So it, it is, it's, um, it against it the transition period, they're under a new manager. So it's still settling down for them. But, I mean, they, and I think it was at the game last year when Newcastle beat Arsenal uh, at St James. So it's not going to be an easy place for them to go. Mm. Mm. What was your assessment of, of Newcastle as well? Because... Again, you know, you've got the whole
1: um, circus still around, the potential sale or non-sale, Mike Ashley,
2: Rafa. Where's all this heading? Well, the best thing that happened in Newcastle was the window closed and then Mm -hmm. so they could just get on with, you know, there's no talk because, you know, of course Rafa's been very vocal about um, sort of his uh, displeasure at not being able to bring people in and not being the quality that he wants to bring in. But again, while he's still there, they'll always... See, do well. They'll always uh, be clear of relegation.
0: You're uh, mm, not entirely sure.
2: Well, and I, well I, I, I think so. I think they'll be clear of relegation. And I think that, um, OK, they haven't agreed great start the season. Mm. But, you know, like I said,
1: with you, a
0: manager like that, they're going to.
1: You know refer really well, Tony.
0: What's his current state of mind, do you think? Mm, he thinks it'll take him a bit um, but he used to work miracles before Istanbul, you know. So it's not a question. But the, the thing is, what strikes me about this game, there's only one way that Newcastle can win it, and that's if Arsenal try and play the ball up from the back mm. like they've been to him. Because uh, Rafa will be watching them, and he'll be watching. He'll have been watching Wales on um, last week. Aaron Ramsey getting the ball out of his feet, you know, and um, uh, sort of twenty yards from goal. Mm. Um, if they try and do that, Rafa will press them high. And they'll get the ball. They'll get the ball in areas where they get at that defence and that disorganisation in that defence. And that's the only way they can beat them. I can't understand managers like Emery who come in and they look at the a group of players who can't do something and say, all right, we're going to do this. Mm. You know, we're going through a process. We're going to teach you how to do it live on the pitch with points at stake. To me, that's just absolute abject madness. And, um, you know... I I think Arsenal have loads of problems. I think Newcastle will have issues scoring goals um, and, you know, they're they're not great defensively. But if Arsenal play the way they've been playing, they'll give Newcastle a chance. Mm. Chelsea at home to
1: Cardiff, who by common consent have got very little chance of staying up. You know, even Warnock saying they've got the hardest job of the lot. Um, Interesting that uh, Rudiger was, was basically saying that um, Eden Hazard he's second only to
2: Messi. Is that just him looking after his mate? Uh, no, not really. I don't think. Uh, you know, he's, he's certainly I put him above Neymar at the moment. So on form, uh, even watching him against Scotland, uh, you know, he was the goal he scores just ridiculous. He's um, yeah, he, he, he's key to, to them having any success this season. Uh, but with Cardiff, I mean, it's it's Difficult to see like where they're going to get the the points from, but uh, the one pleasing thing I think from, from if I was a Carter fan is the fact that they haven't gone big, they haven't gone spend a, a boatload of money. So, if they do go down, and it ch- this should be the plan, they go down, they're in the he- still in a healthy position to come up in the next two seasons, mm-hmm. and then when if they do come up again, then they'll be even stronger still. Mm-hmm. And if they're not strong enough to stay down, uh, stay up again, and they get relegated there will be in this even stronger position to go back up. So it's about building gradually rather than trying to, to stay in that division and, and, and ruin themselves for the, for the next few seasons. Because, I mean, it was a bad financial situation last time they
0: went down. Mm. Just going back to Hazard, I mean, sometimes he's frustrating me. because you look at him, he's got so much... And you think to him you know, in his Chelsea career, why hasn't he, you know, sort of dominated more games? Why not he... And then you think about it. He's been there since two thousand twelve. Sarri's a sixth manager, mm. six managers in those six years, mm. and that that kind of encapsulates Chelsea's dysfunction, in you know, in a moment, and uh, and and that's why, although they've had such a good start, I can't see them maintaining the. Um, uh, you know the, the way the, the, the picking up points like this. Yeah. I don't see them as contenders for the title, but I think I, I do think you know I, I have to agree that um, Hazard is probably at the moment the second best player in Europe, and has the potential in the next couple of years to become the best.
1: Mm. Yeah, just a, a final point on Chelsea, or a, you know someone who's indelibly associated with them, JT John Terry, mm. Spartak Moscow. We're told that's a
2: strange one, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, means one thing that came totally out of the blue as well, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know too much about spot like Moscow's situation where there, there was uh, I you think they're going to pay him one point three million quid a year, which probably is opposite.
1: <laughs>
0: Up to his house shovel of money.
2: In. Why wouldn't you go? Yeah. Oh no, from his point, I'm just asking why why they would want yeah. him to go there. You know, because it's, Like I said it's. Um, we we know his he, his strengths, which he's always had. He's he's got a great defensive instinct, but. Um, you know, he he needed looking after sort of um, pace wise while he was at Aston Villa, so he won them well. Yeah, is a Russian league best for him.
0: Yeah. I hope it doesn't end in tears like the last time in Moscow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very good, very good. Right, just a final thing ending uh, with a player who maybe is a one man club. Wilf Sahar, what do you think of him? You know, Palace are you know playing Huddersfield at the weekend. They need to get get going again. Um, Sahar, to me. Is the embodiment of one one main club?
0: Oh yeah, without him, they've got huge problems, haven't they? Um, He gives them pace, he gives them width, he gives them incisiveness, he gives them (laughs) he he gives them an attack. And you know, it's uh, when you look at Benteke, who should be doing more, notwithstanding the fact that he had a bad injury, and you know, uh, he still he still doesn't give them enough. Zaha is vital to Palace's season with him. I think they finish, they finish. Oh, well, there and thereabouts. You know, so the middle of the table. Without him, then it's going to be a long, tough season.
2: Mm. He's even paying the wages for the women's team. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's just signing a new deal there as well, and which is a smart move because I think we saw saw what happened in Manchester. And of course, he's, he's now he's matured. He's so much more capable of uh, mm. going to a, to a top six side and, and flourishing but from Steve Parish's point of view you know you try to do everything you can if the money's there give it to him and keep him there yeah. and it can be it, it can be Palace's Letizia and that money's small for whatever he gets it's it's pennies compared to what he it, it earns the club and keep them in the division
0: and also say January they come looking for a player you know it's, uh, you know come and play with Saha you know it's you know he you know he attracts people's attention we'll,
2: well, do it make make it his club you know if he's that integral to the uh, to the side like I said, they, they don't win games without him. So why don't... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know who's the, the club captain at the moment, but you know do, do everything to build that team around him. Make him Crystal Palace. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll admit to being very wrong about Sahar. I once thought he was inconsistent and insubstantial. In fact, he's inspirational. As far as England's concerned, he's the one that got away. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.